All across America and around the world, this is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. And now, your host for today's program, Dale Throneberry. And this is Veterans Radio, and my name is Dale Throneberry. I was a CW-2 helicopter pilot in Vietnam in 1969. Welcome to our program. We've got a really crammed full episode for you today here on Veterans Radio. We're going to be starting off by talking to a representative from Camp Liberty here in Michigan, and they've got a fundraiser coming up, so we're going to be talking with them. Then we've got a segment uh, all about Operation Song, and we've got... Uh, Two women that are going to be talking about that, and you know Operation Song pairs up a veteran with a songwriter. Stick around for that. I think you'll really enjoy this very powerful song. And then later on, we've got a little segment on uh, from NVBDC. Uh, Jim Falzone is going to be talking with Keith King about what's going on with our favorite sponsor, NVBDC. And then finally, the last portion of the program is a little bit of a replay from uh, 2006, and uh, Bob Gould and I interviewed a uh, Len Lamel, who was um, participated in the D-Day invasion of Europe in June of 1944. And uh, I think you're going to really like that. That's our tribute to uh, the anniversary of D-Day coming up this week. So before I get into all of that, we've got to thank our sponsors. That's Legal Help for Veterans, specializing in veterans' disability claims. Give Legal Help for Veterans a call at 800-693-4800 or go to their website, LegalHelpForVeterans.com. The National Veterans Business Development Council, better known as NVBDC, is the nation's leading third-party authority for certification of a veteran-owned business. For more information, go to their website, that's NVBDC.org, or give them a call at 888-237-8433. The Charles S. Kettles VA Medical Center here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. For more information, go to va.gov slash Ann Arbor Healthcare. We also want to thank our long local <laughs> veterans organizations for their continuing support. That's the Irwin Press Corps and American Legion Post 46 and the Charles S. Kettles Vietnam Veterans of America Chapter 310 of both of Ann Arbor, Michigan. We can't do this program without the support of these folks And we need your support. Hey, just to let you know, we are coming up on our 1,000th program on July 9th. So make sure that you tune in on July 9th. Um, It's going to be a lot of great funds. We're going to have a lot of of people that have been on the program in the past. Maybe you'll be on it. And we're also going to be celebrating this on July 9th and the uh, outside of the studios of WAAM here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So stick around for more information on that. Go to our website, uh, veteransradio.org now, because we finally got the transition going where we've gone from a .net to a .org, because Veterans Radio is a nonprofit, 501c3 uh, nonprofit corporation, and you can feel free to donate if you would like to help us keep our stories going on the air for the next thousand episodes. So, cool, right? All right, we're going to take uh, right into uh, our first segment, and this is uh, Larry Antoine from the uh, Camp Liberty talking about their upcoming event. As you know, here on Veterans Radio, every week we like to talk about a different veterans organization out there that's uh, designed to help veterans, and we have one locally here in the Ann Arbor area, and it's called Camp Liberty. And joining me on the line right now is one of their directors, Larry St. Antoine. And Larry, tell us what's going on out at Camp Liberty. This is our, our first 
get together for uh, Camp Liberty, and it's going to take place out in uh, Brooklyn, Michigan. The address is 7044 Kepler Drive, Brooklyn, Michigan. And we're going to have a classic car and motorcycle show. Um, oh. It will be running it's Saturday, June 24th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And we're asking anybody with a classic car or motorcycle, if you could show up around 8.30, we'll get you in. Uh, we're asking for uh, a donation of $20 per adult which would include uh, barbecue lunch, live music, silent auctions. And we have 138 acres of land out there along with our hunting area that we uh, have veterans come out to. Uh, we will give tours and we have awards for the best classic car and best classic motorcycle. Cool. So it's $20 for everybody who, well, it's not $20. It's a donation, correct? Well, yeah, we, you know, <laughs> uh, this is, this is our yearly, uh, event to be able to make money to, uh, keep the veterans, uh, hunting seasons open there and other things that we have. Yeah. I know you have a lot of activities out there at Camp Liberty and your motto is building a stronger veteran community. And you guys do all kinds of things. Most of these things are for disabled veterans. Um, I know that you uh, provide hunting opportunities and you have vehicles that allow, you know, veterans that are confined to wheelchairs and stuff to get out and hunt and all kinds of things, don't you? Yeah, we have three track wheelchairs that uh, that they're able to use. Uh, last year, we had four deer hunts and we had a total of, uh, I think it was about 20 vets that came out deer hunting and they all had a great time and a lot of comrade, you know, together. And mm -hmm. this year we we expanded it to uh, uh, a turkey hunt and a pheasant hunt. And then other than the four deer hunts that we had. Cool. And were people able to get their uh, legal limit? Oh, yeah. Well, we uh, with the with the pheasant hunt, we uh, work with a local pheasant organization and we spent about $850 to have the pheasants brought out. Oh. <laughs> uh, we have our own turkeys here. So well, yeah, both, of them were, both of them were very successful, and we're looking forward to our four deer hunts that are coming up. That's cool. I think that's really cool. Uh, so we're, we're talking with uh, Larry San Antonio. He's one of the directors of Camp Liberty. They've got a car and bike show coming up on Saturday, June 24th, running from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. They are located out at 7044 Kapler Drive in Brooklyn, Michigan. Zip is 49230. For those of you who uh, want to set your GPS, it's about seven miles west of Manchester, Michigan, off of Austin Road. If I have a motorcycle or a car that I want to bring out, do I just bring it or do I should I contact somebody? Uh, your your listeners can go to camplibertymichigan.org. Uh, that's online, mm -hmm. and it gives all the information. Uh, and if they also just want to donate, uh, we have a donation uh, set up there online, too. That's cool. That's cool. All right, Larry, thank you very much. Larry San Antoine from the camplibertymichigan.org. Help these people out. They're doing a great job out there letting people go hunting, so, Larry, thanks very much for being on Veterans Radio, and I hope to see you out there on the 24th. We appreciate it, Dale. Thank you very much for what you do. I encourage you to go to uh, CampLibertyMichigan.org and find out more about this terrific organization. It's a great place for veterans to go and just relax and feel comfortable in the great outdoors. 
Coming up right now is our next segment, and this is the Operation Song portion of the program. And this includes a woman veteran and a woman songwriter, and they collaborated on a song called Rise. I think you're going to really enjoy this. So here we go to Operation Song. All right, we are back here on Veterans Radio, and our segment on Operation Song this month is uh, talking about two women that got together at the uh, Nashville VA Women's Clinic as part of their Operation Song program there in uh, April, it looks like. Uh, and so I wanted to bring them on and talk to you about, remember, Operation Song is usually it, it pairs up a veteran with a songwriter, and they so far, the ones I have heard, they put together these just wonderful songs, uh, and it's a way of of uh, helping the veteran kind of get their stories out. Cause you know, sometimes many of us have difficulty talking about our experiences, whether they're in the military or out of the military. And this is a great way that, that uh, operation song has, you know, put this idea together and, and I don't know, it just seems to work. So joining me on the, on the program today, our, our veteran is Christy Alderson and our songwriter is Jen Franklin. I'm going to start off with Christy first. So Christy, t- Welcome to Veterans Radio, first of all. Hi, thank you, Bill. And then tell me what uh, what branch of the service you were in and what was your job? So I was in the Navy. Um, I was actually an aviation electronic technician, an AT, um, and I was stationed in um, California. I was on a Marine base, MCAS El Toro, attached to BMFAT 101. Okay, for those of us that were not in the Navy, we don't know what that means, but <laughs> but it means he was in California, and yes, <laughs> sounds like you, and, and and you worked with uh, avionics. I did, I did. So we, I actually worked on the F eighteen, okay. and um, our um, division worked on the um, navigation radar and communication system. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so are you still in the service or, did, or have you gotten out? I am no longer in the service. I got out. I served from 1994 to 98. And right now I'm an entrepreneur. So I do hair. I have my own salon. And um, I just launched a, a eco-friendly product line for the hair and skin. So that's what I'm working on now. Okay. Good for you. Good for you. That's, I think Thank that's you. terrific. So let me bring on uh, Jen Franklin. Jen is a songwriter, a well-known songwriter in the Nashville area and around the country, I believe. I was looking up your information on your website, Jen, and saw that you've written a lot of great songs over the time, and I'm Aww. becoming a fan after listening to some of them. And, uh, oh, thank you. So we can go from there. So, Jen, how did you get involved with Operation Song? Yeah, you know, I got pulled into this by another songwriter who was doing one of the, I think it was the very first women's retreat that they were holding with Operation Song. And I was very hesitant to do it. I thought, oh, I don't know if that's really my thing. That seems like that might be kind of a, a scary thing to get into. But I just decided, oh, you know what, I'll I'll, I'll go try it once. What What's the worst that can happen? And it was the, probably one of the most amazing songwriting experiences I've ever had. Um, and then I've been doing that pretty much every year for the past 10, going on 11 years now. So, yeah, I love it. And so how did you get hooked up with uh, Christy? Well, Christy and I got paired up. Um, they usually do kind of figure out the pairings before we have these retreats. And I guess they just decided that maybe maybe the type of music I, I like to do might be a good fit for her. It's kind of hard to say how they make those selections, but I was Really, really excited once I got a chance to talk with her. She's just a very cool, very powerful woman. 
And mm-hmm. I like to write empowered kind of songs. So it was just, it felt like such a good fit. I was like, all right. I was kind of tired that day. I had a lot going on. I was like, okay, I got to do another one of these. But once I talked to her, I like had so much energy. I was just ready to go. And, and Christy, how did you get, um, how did you volunteer for this? Let's put it that way. I was going to say got drafted, but that's a, that's an old term. <laughs> that's a term I used when I was in. Oh, yeah. How, how so did you get actually, involved? <laughs> Actually, it was through uh, my therapist. Um, it's a program that they offer um, to their clients. And so when she told me about it, I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. Um, I really didn't know what to expect. But when they paired us together, me and Jen, I was like so excited. She's so sweet. <laughs> She's amazing. And um, she got my my words together and created a beautiful masterpiece. Like I'm so thankful, Jen. Oh, Chrissy. And Chrissy had a lot of great words. She gave me a lot to work with, which is just wonderful. And I'm able to use the person's own language. I just think that has so much more power than if I were to write it, you know, more myself. So it was, it was great. She gave me a lot to work with. Do you, when you put these songs together, do you, do you sit down with each other and just kind of, Jen, do you ask questions or, Yes. Yes. I actually have a whole process where I have a notebook that I I write a whole lot of notes and ask lots of questions and Mm -hmm. kind of try to get as much information as I can on the front end. And then I start kind of fiddling around the song. And then I check in with with Christy at certain points, like, okay, what do you think? Is this kind of going in a good direction? What should we do with maybe the next Mm -hmm. verse? So just just kind of doing it that way really worked well. And we did this over Zoom. So we did have to kind of call each other back and forth. We were taking some breaks in between to work on the music. So did you come up with the melody first or the lyrics first? Well, the lyrics were definitely a driving factor to start with it. And that's true for a lot of these songs, um, just because there's so much of a story that I'm getting ready to tell. But melody is something that I just adore as a songwriter. And I feel like it comes pretty quickly for me most of the time, if if I'm inspired, if I'm inspired by what Mm -hmm. I'm writing. And I I really was that day. I was just kind of on fire. So it it came really fast. And and Christy, how about you? Have you ever been involved in writing a song before? Never been involved with songwriting. Uh, love music, all types of genres. And I was just amazed how quickly she was able to, you know, take my story and put it together in a song. It's, it's very amazing. Songwriters are very gifted. <laughs> I think they are. They are, true, they are true artists. Yes, they are. Well, um, well let's, let's talk a little bit about the song. The title is, is called Rise. And I, I guess I'll... I'll let whoever wishes to talk about it, how you came up with this, this kind of theme for a rise. What, what, we, what were we rising from? <laughs> you want to go, um, Christy? Yeah, I'll begin. <laughs> so the song is about um, what I experienced in my marriage. Um, I got married at a very young age and um, just going through the process of the divorce and all the things that I went through to get to a divorce and raising my kids. Like it's about triumph. It's about um, succeeding. It's about um, pain. It's about, it's, it's all those elements that I actually went through and um, recovered from. 
I, I, the, the, the lyrics are great. And uh, we're going to, when we, what I would like to do uh, for both of you right now is play the song. Chamber 
That is that is awesome. That is so powerful. So powerful. I mean, it just has to, you know, uh, Chrissy, it just has to lift you up or rise, as it says. Oh, it does. It it brings tears to my eyes every time I hear it. But I love that song. It's amazing. Oh, well, I, I I am so pleased and proud to be able to introduce it to the world. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, let them know that this is what Operation Song does. And, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they they work together and all of these things that are inside of you are able to come out and comes out in just a beautiful yeah. song. Yeah. Beautiful song. Holy, holy. You. <laughs> <laughs> Both of you are just so talented. Uh, yeah, she she did a great job with it. She really did. She did such a good job being open. Some people have a harder time with that than others. I've had a couple of people that got reined in and were not really excited to be there. So I've sometimes <laughs> had my work cut out for me, but we still get songs. So it's it's such an amazing process on someone as open as Christy was for that day. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I can understand that. And I, I, I really, it's been a pleasure for me to speak with both of you today here on Veterans Radio. Mm-hmm. And I hope that we'll find out more about you. If you make, you know, if you produce more songs, God, I'd love to yeah. hear them. And uh, again, I want to thank you both very much. Thank you, Dale. Thank you. Okay. I thought that was a great song. That is just a great song. Can tell you, <laughs> I really appreciate that. All right, we're going to go into our uh, next is up coming up is our uh, interview with Keith King from NVBDC um, that Jim uh, Falson held a couple of days ago. So here we go, NVBDC. After NVBDC, actually, we're going to be playing our Medal of Honor segment, and we're going to come right out of our Medal of Honor segment and go to uh, the final segment of our program today, and that is going to be our interview from 2006 with. Um, Lem Lamel. Uh, Lem was a, as I say, was a World War II veteran. He participated in D-Day. Uh, this program is from 2006. Unfortunately, Lem passed away in 2011. So here we go. NVBDC with Jim Falson, straight in to the final segment of the program. Welcome. I am Jim Fossone, and this is Veterans Radio's Spotlight on National Veteran Business Development Council, NVBDC. We have a long-standing partnership with NVBDC, which is the nation's leading third-party authority for certification of veteran-owned businesses of all sizes. It's a 501c3 nonprofit established in 2013, I should say, and uh, we're glad to have on with us today again the founder and uh, main main guru, uh, CEO of uh, NVBDC, Keith King. Keith, welcome back to Veterans Radio. Thanks, Jim. It's good to be back, and uh, I haven't been called a guru since the sixties. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll work with it. We're 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 aging both of us here. So, uh, but there's a lot of interesting things going on with NVBDC and and how it's uh, changing how American businesses perceive veteran-owned companies. And I think, really, the proof of the concept will be the news you have on the billion-dollar roundtable numbers. But why don't you start with explaining uh, what the billion-dollar roundtable is and how it relates to NVBDC. Thank you, Jim. Um, The billion-dollar roundtable is comprised of corporations that literally spend a billion dollars per year 
with the supplier diversity programs, primarily uh, counting uh, the minority, the women, the veterans, and um, the uh, gay, lesbian, and now disabled as well. But um, this group has grown to 32 corporations now. And uh, when I started with them, there were 17, 18. But anyways, um, 28 of those 32 are, in fact, um, NVBDC corporate members. So obviously we're very tightly aligned um, with the members of the billion dollar roundtable and what is significant. And these, is, let me, let me, let me interrupt for yeah. folks who don't, you know, this is foreign territory to them when they hear billion dollar roundtable. These are yeah. guys like Ford, Amazon, give it, give us some other big names who are, make up that 28 members, uh, corporate members for NVBDC. Well, um, let's see. I guess the easiest way for me to do that would be whoever you can think of. But we can start with Apple. <laughs> you heard that little company called Apple. Yeah, I heard, I heard of that company. Oh, I got, I got another one called Amazon. Yeah, you're starting with the A's, uh, yeah. I mean, well, let's see. How about this one? AT&T. Oh, let's see. Ford, Chrysler, General Motors, Toyota, Procter & Gamble, Microsoft. Oh, Verizon. Oh, this little one here down here is called Walmart. Um, <laughs> well, I think that gets, that gets the point across. That's what I was trying to get to our listeners okay. is that the billion-dollar roundtable are these nationally, internationally known uh, businesses who are uh, spending dollars uh, with businesses that are um, veteran owned businesses and that's kind of kind of where you guys come you know mesh together here so i'm sorry to interrupt go ahead no that's fine i appreciate it because again you know the thing um that we've always dealt with in the sense of creating the nvbdc uh and you would think we'd be past this by now but i had this exact conversation again this morning with a new corporate member about the skepticism of our veteran businesses. Um, you know, the call that I would get would be, you know, hey, Keith, do you really think these corporations are ever going to hire, you know, a veteran-known business like me? And the answer is yes. Well, you know, I have been utilizing now for the last couple of years because, frankly, I didn't have a very good uh, yardstick, if you will, in the sense of actual expenditures um, of our corporate members. Uh, and so when I got this report, I actually have what is referred to as the uh, $2022 billion economic impact report. And this report goes through and details the amount of money that has been spent with the women, with the minorities, and now with the NVVDC. And just to make the point that um, I think is not only relevant, but really focuses, you know, the attention on NVBDC is we are the only accepted veteran certification body by the billion dollar roundtable or used by recognized their language. They must, the veteran owned business must be certified by us to be counted in the report. 
of the members of the Billion Dollar Roundtable. So this is a direct value, direct report in the sense of what these members of the Billion Dollar Roundtable have spent with NVBDC certified veteran-owned businesses. And the figure I have been using for the last couple of years has been $2 billion. Well, this report came out, and it was really quite startling to us, and obviously we're very proud of the results of this. Because what happened is when this report came out, it shows not only the expenditures, but it, it actually was specific enough to say Tier 1 spend. So the Tier 1 spend came in at $3.3 billion in 2022. So that, that, that's, just a, that's just an incredible number, $3.3 billion. Yeah. And this is from an economic impact data spend yeah, study. Economic impact report is... Um, I mean, financially, extremely, I know the people who do the audits, and um, they do not call this an audited report, but they do call it an economic impact uh, report. And uh, the numbers that we are not only very proud of, in the sense of not only their spend with our vets, but they also started breaking down the total in the sense of the total impact. And here's what they started to do. Now it started, that's wrong. What they did, the report says, if you look at these veteran-owned businesses, the veteran-owned businesses' payroll is $2 billion. So not only do our vets hire vets, which we've always said, but obviously they're paying uh, out a lot of good money as well. Absolutely. And when we start talking about a $2 billion payroll, well, that's beginning to actually do what we said, that, you know, you get a veteran business the opportunity to grow, to get an opportunity to participate in supplier diversity. They will have an impact not only on the veteran, but their family and their community. So what we're seeing now, and again, this report came out with the gross uh, domestic product, the GDP number, was $3.7 billion. And we went, whoa, okay, that means we really are doing the kind of impact in the community that we had been talking about. And then this report shows that the number of jobs by our veteran businesses is 44,498 to use the number. So again, this is just showing you that not only are we talking about a number of businesses, we're talking about jobs. And so what they did is they put it together in a formula, and what they talk about is their total veteran and service-disabled veteran impact is $6.7 billion. Is this an annual number? Yeah. Oh, my. 22 alone. Wow. Yeah. So I have been mining, if you will. Um, You know, it's like a 90-some page report, and I've read all 90 pages like five times, and I keep going in, you know, and highlighting because one of the things we're doing, and it's something I, I, you know, have always acknowledged, you know, the women and the minorities as being our mentors and teaching us, you know, how to actually do certification. 
numbers, when you look at uh, the minority numbers and the women numbers, uh, three, four, five times our numbers. Um, and that's fine. They I mean, we've been doing this roughly, you know, nine going on 10 years and, uh, they've been doing it 50, uh, for the minority and 25, uh, years for the women. So they got a, a pretty good jump on this, but what we're now doing and as part of, uh, one of the reasons I want to make sure all the veterans who are listening understand what we're also now doing is going back to the minorities, back to the women and say, Hey, wait a minute. How many minorities, you know, certified minorities, how many certified women are veterans? And to take a look at that and say, hey, do you have, or if you don't, you should have both certifications, or more important to me, I guess, and more important to the individual, is what we call our triple threat. And that would be primarily, you know, a female uh, minority veteran who can get all three of our certifications because what we talk about is expanding the pie. Well, if we look at this, they may, they being the corporations, may say, you know, I'm pretty good in my minority spin, I'm pretty good in my women's spin, but hey, you know what, I got this veteran who I know, you know, as a minority, we'll count that as a veteran spin. So, you know, when we start looking at the scope, that's what I'm really getting at. You start looking at the scope. I used to say, hey, you know, from our informal report, we're at around $2 billion, a little over $2 billion. But now that I have an actual economic impact study, and by the billion-dollar roundtable, this is no longer Keith or the NVBDC. This is the members of the billion-dollar roundtable um, come out and said, hey, the spend with veteran businesses Certified by the NVBDC is 3.3 billion, and the total impact in the market is 6.7 billion annually. I mean, it's a you know yeah. you got to keep remind these are big numbers yeah. for most of us who will never comprehend these kind of numbers. And and I think as we've been in partnership between Veterans Radio and NVBDC over time, we've been able to talk to so many of your members who yeah. who talk up the, hey, I have a personal experience. Let me tell you about the added value that my company got by being certified. And this just proves up, you don't have to do it anecdotally, this proves up that being certified by NVBDC adds value and opportunity to your business, and I, you know, this this really moves it to a whole nother level, doesn't it, Keith? It does, Jim, and thank you for that. The Medal of Honor is the highest award for valor in combat given a member of the Armed Forces of the United States. There have been over three thousand four hundred recipients of the nation's highest award. This is one of them. Walter Ellers and his brother were in the first wave to hit Omaha Beach on D-Day. Details after this. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. Staff Sergeant Eller's brother was several hundred yards away on the beach, and they didn't see each other. Eller's unit ran into a decimated unit of Bangalore torpedo men, and provided cover for them as they used their explosives to blow a hole in the German fortifications. This allowed an American breakup. On June 9th, Ehlers' platoon came under heavy fire. He climbed a hedgerow and called his men to follow. He spotted a German patrol and killed four of the enemy. 
Ordering his men to fix bayonets and firing from his hip, he destroyed a machine gun nest. He then attacked a second machine gun, killing three more. The platoon moved out the next morning and came under intense fire from both sides. The commander ordered a withdrawal. Ehlers realized that someone had to provide cover. He motioned his automatic rifleman to follow him, scrambled to the top of a mound of earth that provided a vantage point. They began firing on the Germans, drawing fire away from the rest of the platoon. Ehlers was hit in the back, but was able to kill the sniper that shot him. When his rifleman was wounded, Ehlers dragged him to safety. Ehlers was treated at a field station and insisted on returning to action. Unable to strap on a backpack, he strapped on two bandoliers of ammunition, picked up a rifle, and went to find his men. A month later, he was informed that his brother was killed on Omaha Beach. Ehlers was presented the Medal of Honor by Lieutenant General John Lee on December 19, 1944. The Medal of Honor series is a production of Veterans Radio. Hey, Len Lamel, who is a survivor of, of Normandy, uh, climbed up the, the cliffs of Point the Hawk, blew up artillery, all kinds of things. And I wanted to just give you a little background on, on our guest. Um, Len, sometimes better known as Bud, graduated from Point Pleasant High School in 1937, Point Pleasant, New Jersey. With Mr. Lamel, I want to welcome you very much to Veterans Radio. I want you to tell us a little bit about your experience on that morning of D-Day in 1944. Now you want me to? Now, yeah, it's your turn. You don't want me to answer any questions. Just tell you about D-Day. We'll we'll have questions as we go along. All right, let's. I'll start off with... You started coming in on the boats at the bottom of Point the Hawk. You've got a you know a ten meter wide beach that really isn't a beach. That's true. Not a beach. Not in the sense of beach sand. It was stones, round stones, and coral shingles. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the uh, so-called beach was very narrow at the foot of Point the Hawk, which are cliffs a hundred feet tall, straight up. And uh, we landed there uh, D-Day morning. Supposedly we we're going to be there by six thirty. But we were, we came off a channel steamer. You know, a channel steamer is a, a, a boat with cabins and everything on it. It goes from England to France and from France to England just across the English Channel. Uh, but that was our uh, transport of the Rangers. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we, it was really deluxe that we had rooms to ourselves, uh, a couple guys to a room. We didn't expect such uh, tender loving care, but it was enjoyable. Anyway, uh, it was manned by British seamen, British Navy men, mm-hmm. and they uh, were the coxswains on our landing craft, and we were supposed to land at 6.30. However, the lead coxswain was lost. He was heading for the wrong point. Mm. He was. Uh, there are many points along the Omaha Beach areas, about seven miles in width, and only one-third of it is the sandy beach where the troops landed on the sandy portion. The other two-thirds are cliffs all the way up to over 100 feet mm-hmm. as you proceed westwardly. So uh, uh, our commanding officer, General, or well, he wasn't a general then, uh, Colonel Rutter, uh, mm-hmm. noticed this uh, fact that we were seemingly headed for the wrong cliffs. And so he corrected the coxswain. I had him pull to the right and parallel the cliffs for several miles till we got up to Point De Hawk, which was uh, uh, several miles beyond the actual sandy beaches of, of uh, Omaha Beach. 
And, and all during that time, uh, the Germans, of course, are, are, are shooting at you, I'm assuming. No, what, yes, but uh, had we been on time, we'd have caught them in their quarters. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very big, this is a big fortress with underground uh, railway, underground tunnels and things, and sleeping quarters and where the German troops lived. Um, but anyway, we would have caught them in their bed and it would have been much easier. But because we were late by 30, 40 minutes, uh, they were uh, aroused uh, by all the noise and shooting because they didn't expect anybody to come up to a cliff. They had no defenses against that. They didn't think anybody was crazy enough to climb those 100-foot cliffs straight up. So their defenses were aimed in a different direction. But they came out and found that we were there. And so they uh, kept shooting us off the ropes and shooting us down from the cliff tops, rolling boulders down and dropping grenades on us and doing everything they could to keep us from getting up there. However, we were very fortunate. We landed with 225 rangers and 180 of us got up the cliff. Uh, and uh, very quick time uh, and uh, managed to fight our way across to the top of the point to where the big guns were supposed to be. And what did you find when the big when you found the supposed big guns? I didn't find the the guns were not where they were supposed to be. They were where our army intelligence said they were in these gigantic uh, encasements. But when we got there, there was telephone poles sticking out of these encasements. And you know, we had studied Point de Hoc from aerial photographs. Mm-hmm. And from the aerial photographs, they look like the barrel of a gun sticking out a big howitzer or a ghost of a gun. But when we got to uh, our gun positions we had been assigned to to destroy them, and we found they weren't there, we figured, well, we'll fight our way inland because we had other parts of the mission. The second part of the mission was to when you get out to the coast road, that's about a mile inland, uh, which is a coastal road between uh, important sites. And we were to put up a roadblock to prevent the Germans from getting through to Utah Beach. And uh, we then had to uh, destroy all their communications along that highway, which we did. Um, and when we got there, I, we, I landed with 22 men in my LCA, manned by British sailors. Uh, the 22 Rangers with me, by the time we fought our way through the Germans inland, I only had 12 left when I got to the road a mile inland. Approximately, and uh, while there, uh, I told ten of them, uh, the section sergeants, to create a roadblock there. While I asked one of the uh, staff sergeants, uh, my acting platoon sergeant, you see, we were in an acting capacity. Mm-hmm. I was an acting platoon leader, which is a position of a lieutenant. Jack Kuhn, my staff sergeant, he was acting in the role of a platoon sergeant, which is a tech sergeant, and uh, so. Uh, the ten men that I left created the roadblock and took care of the communications, as was the second part of our mission, while uh, Sergeant Kuhn, Jack Kuhn, and I um, went looking for some evidence of where the guns could probably or might be. We thought we'd hear them. Well, we didn't hear them. So we just had one choice, and uh, people think we're heroes. I don't think we, we were at the, at the right place at the right time. And lucked out. We went down this sunken uh, road between high hedgerows that are nine, ten feet high with trees sixty feet high out of the top of them. You could hide a whole uh, column of tanks down this road uh, because in back of those cliffs the, the land dips down into the lowlands and flooded areas. Uh, 
So if we leapfrog down that road, guarding each other, there's only two of us. We went beyond two lines of uh, German defenses. That's 8 o'clock, before 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, they didn't dream that there'd be a couple American soldiers uh, a mile or two inland or whatever it was. And so they didn't know we were there. And Bob, you had a question for our guest. Len, how are you this evening? Fine, thank you. Now, when you got to the top, and you found that the guns weren't there. You actually had part of your mission accomplished. So to go inland and not just set up a perimeter there took a bit of initiative. Was that was that part of your training to take the initiative rather than oh, yeah. take okay. a and take uh, a defensive position? We take charge. Uh, our motto is to be the best of the best. We're all volunteers. But in any event, we went down that road and found the guns. They were very, very well camouflaged in, a, in an apple orchard, and uh, they were at the ready with their uh, their ammunition all ready to be fired. But they weren't being fired for a reason. They weren't getting fire uh, orders back from their observation point out on the cliffs of Point de Hoc, which was surrounded by E Company of our Ranger Battalion, and they had them bottled up that they couldn't get fire orders back to where Jack Kuhn and Sergeant Kuhn and I were. And so about a hundred yards from us was 75 uh, Germans. This is now 7.30, quarter to 8 in the morning. And um, they're off uh, in this field getting, in, in, at that time of the day, they were just getting up and coming in the various states of undress to this meeting they were having. And we were already behind the second line of defense they didn't know we were there. So while they were busy engaged doing what they had to do, waiting for fire orders, and there was no one in the position, uh, I asked Jack to get up on the uh, high hedgerow there with his submachine gun and protect me as I would go into that gun position alone by myself and uh, knock out as many guns as I could. Well, you know, having to climb those cliffs, we could only carry one um, incendiary grenade apiece. And we it had to travel light so we could muscle ourselves up those cliffs. So uh, he had one. He gave me his uh, semi-grenade. I had one. And so I went in and I destroyed a, a traversing mechanism and elevation mechanisms with the semi-grenades of two of the guns of the five that were there. And uh, I uh, crushed, uh, broke the sights on all of them by wrapping my field jacket around my butt of my submachine gun and smashing them and none of this could be heard because of the manner in which we were trained to do these things <laughs> so then jack and i decided we would run back uh, just a hundred yards to where our roadblock was and get as many grenades as we could carry back to come back and finish off the job which uh, took about 10 minutes at most uh, <laughs> and we came back and destroyed the other three so all five were put out of action by 8 a.m and that's early in the morning. And uh, they contended that we were the, uh, made the deepest penetration on D-Day morning. We were the first uh, military outfit to uh, accomplish its uh, mission and finish it. Um, and uh, we did it all by 8 o'clock in the morning, which when you put out that kind of uh, 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 coastal gun positions, the biggest on the Atlantic coast, they said that we saved thousands, tens of thousands of lives on the beaches 
and uh, on the ships. There's 5,000 ships out there moored, you know, with an invading force. And uh, this is why the planners of the invasion were really so uh, keyed up about having some way to ensure and guarantee those guns would be out of position because there were hundreds and hundreds of uh, uh, planes that bombed it. Uh, there were thousands of shells from the two battleships of Texas and the Arkansas, uh, and they all missed the targets. None of them destroyed any of the guns, and uh, it wasn't for us. The Rangers getting up those cliffs, finding them and destroying them, put them out of action, they would have been firing away uh, uncontrollably and uh, killing so many civilians and service people uh, that they said it was in the thousands. So that's why it was so important. But again, I say, we were trained to do these things and that was, it'd be resourceful yeah. and think and on our feet. We were lucky at the right time. That was that was your job. And those guns had a range of, what was it, 25,000 meters? They could have taken yeah, out all of the ships. Miles. Yeah, fire 12 miles. I think I think it's amazing. I should also point out uh, to our listening audience that uh, I don't know. Do you want to be called sergeant or lieutenant, or just uh, Mister? Pardon. <laughs> you, anyway, that you had been wounded on the initial assault. Yes, I was the first one wounded in my company. And you did all this while you were wounded. I did it all with the wounded. And listen, I got luck out again. I I caught a machine gun bullet through my right side where the muscle is. It didn't hit the hip joint. I know, it, didn't it didn't hit anything hit any important, organs, right? So I, was, I could handle it. As a result of your uh, knocking out that artillery battery, uh, you and, and uh, Sergeant Kuhn were, uh, received uh, medals for that. Oh, yeah. And you got you got the Distinguished Service Cross, and yes, Sergeant Kuhn got the Silver Star. I think yes, that's I incredible. I, I, yes, he did. He became Chief of Police of Altona, Pennsylvania. He died here about a year or so ago. Isn't it amazing when you when you look back at what you did when you were, what, 19, 20 22. years old? I was 22. He may have been a little younger. I doubt it. I, th- I think that, that the whole story is just amazing. And uh, I congratulate you and thank you, thank you for what you did to our service, uh, to our country and for our country at that time. It happens, by the way, uh, D-Day happens to be my 60th wedding anniversary. That is very That's true. A veteran, uh, Veterans Radio salute to you and your wife. Well, what is her name? Charlotte. 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 And I understand in reading your biography that she climbed Ponte Hawk also. When we were 40 years old, I was in Paris on legal business. <laughs> That's right. And we're talking with Len Lamel of the 2nd Ranger Battalion, who was responsible for knocking out the artillery uh, battery that was located on top of Pointe Hawk, um, climbing up a 100-foot cliff, finding the guns weren't there, went down the hedgerow, found the guns, threw some grenades in there, melt them down, went back and got more grenades. Right. What, were the, what were the Germans doing? Were they watching you run around, or they just never saw you? No, no, what were the Germans doing that we saw? Yes. Uh, they were... Uh, gathering together in this field about a hundred yards away uh, they didn't know there was any american soldiers that close to them they never dreamed that we're, they were we were in among them couldn't couldn't in they fact, could... uh, 40 or 50 of a combat patrol of the germans passed within 20 feet of uh, jack and i there's only two of us so we hid behind a in a ditch behind a hedgerow and fortunately for us, they didn't see us uh, to detect us, or we'd have been dead. You have to have a lot of luck. Oh no, I understand. I, I, you know, surviving conflict is always a, a matter of a lot of luck. 
but it's it's just amazing that 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 you took the initiative to to not only complete your mission but to carry it you know carry it all the way through with a lot of your 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 buddies and commanders and everything falling to the, by the wayside. I think that's that's just admirable, and it, it's something that that American military has a has a history of doing that, and I think we all should be very proud of that. Oh well, we're very proud. We're very well trained, and. Uh... You know, if you're at the right place at the right time and you're trying to do something, you do it. Well, I, 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 I don't mean to gush on here, but I just, I really do admire it. And I want to, I want to have you back on our program at some point because I'd like to talk to you more about what happened once, you know, post D-Day because I know that you were evacuated uh, two days after D-Day to get that minor wound taken care of. That much side it turned black from gangrene. <laughs> you're just amazing. Well, I, I want to thank you, uh, General Kaczynski, for being on Veterans Radio and, and Len. Um, Lynn Lamell, I, I want to thank you very much for being on Veterans Radio. It's a, it's a great story, and there's, there's much more to it, and we're going to have to have you back again to, oh, to talk yeah, about well, this well, Ranger. more. You're Let's do a Ranger welcome. story. I'm very proud to be on here. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank you very well, much. General for me. I will. Thanks, Lynn. Okay. <laughs> thank you both very much, and uh, we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank, thank you. Good thank night. you very much. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Every once in a while, folks, we run into these incredible guests, and, and you and you, uh, Bob found this because we were we were reading the information on Point the Hawk, and we came across Stephen Ambrose's book, and he's talking about Len Lamell as being the one man who went up the cliff and blew up these artillery weapons, and then to, uh, thanks to the general and to another old friend of ours, Charles Crone. Thank you very much, Charles. We do appreciate your help. We were able to get a hold of Len and talk to him personally. I just think that's amazing. Uh, what a story. And, and again, if it hadn't been for D-Day and for all those men and our fathers and grandfathers and so forth that fought in World War II, we wouldn't be here talking about them. And I want to make sure that we make sure that we thank it's them. It's such an American story, too. It, it is. is. I mean, it's an American story. The humility and bravery that uh, and, and and just going just going on pressing pressing on well taking the initiative is, is always something that, that and uh, you didn't know what military. was ahead you didn't no. know what was ahead no there. because as soon as it, well everything was wrong okay I just wanted to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today remember D-Day June 1944 was the largest invasion in the history of the world you heard about it on Veterans Radio and until next week you are dismissed